Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Acts. We're in Acts chapter 5, believe it or not. Yes, we are. But we're moving out of Acts chapter 5 today. We're going to go into Acts chapter 6 in two weeks. So that'll be, we are making progress for those of you who are keeping track. It's been a good study. I hope uh, at least it's been good to go through Acts together and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us tonight. Why don't we just take one moment as people clear to kind of ask the Lord to just open his word not only physically in our laps, I think trust that's not a problem, but to our eyes, to our hearts, to our eyes' heart, and uh, that the Spirit of God would have free reign to instruct us tonight. Father, this night we are so thankful for uh, just the clear, the clarity at which uh, you have um, delivered your truth to us, even so in the beginnings of the New Testament church, the church. And so there are clear truths for us tonight as we really have no difference. Certainly there's, there's some things unique to the first century church, but the truth remains. And we pray that tonight that would be uh, quick to our hearts and that we would be willing to go out and be faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we're in chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 12. The context is we're just coming off of Ananias and Sapphira, if you were there with us last week. And really, we learn that God cares deeply about the purity of the church. And we saw some, some, some sensational realities to that fact. But we can't let the sensational, and I know I'll beat this drum while I'm up here, we can't let the sensational allow us to dismiss the truth proclaimed that God wants His church to know. And so tonight we have a same Thing, nothing less sensational going on in Acts. That'll be the case for quite some time. But when Satan and men try to thwart the gospel proclamation, it's interesting considering uh, God's timing with the morning service. If you want to think, kind of rehash through everything Pastor chatted about, our task to take up proclamation of the Word of God. While Satan and men try to thwart the gospel proclamation, and we certainly will see that here, we saw that even a little bit at the beginning of Acts chapter 5 and of Acts chapter 4, God is working through His faithful witnesses to proclaim the gospel. That's you and that's me. And so we're going to see that very clearly here in Acts chapter 5. And for uh, time's sake, we're just going to dive right in. And we're going to look at five principles tonight. Five principles, the reality that God is working through His faithful witnesses to proclaim the gospel, our witness. And so, the first principle is God uses His faithful witnesses and God works in His timing and in His way. And as we, as faithful witnesses to the gospel, we need to understand that God is the one who does that work. 
If we haven't learned anything in the book of Acts yet, we've learned that God is behind the movement called the church, the movement called the Christ crucified, risen again. And so God works in His timing and in His way. Let's look at, and we're going to kind of read a section, look at that principle, read another section, look at that principle, and so on. And so that'll be our kind of our ebb and flow tonight. But in Acts chapter 5, in verse 12, we see, At the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all being healed. God works in in his timing and in his way. And at the very onset, we see that here in chapter 5, verse 12. At the hands of the apostles. It's interesting, Luke says, at the hand of the apostles. But the reality is, all these signs and wonders are clearly done through the power of God. Peter makes that very clear. If you remember the reality of the lame man at the temple, he makes that abundantly clear. That it is not because of me. He even says that. But it is the God of heaven. And so, God is working here through His faithful witnesses. And this context will be primarily about the apostles. But as we look at the reality of the apostles leading the church, don't forget that it is the sum of the people gathered at Solomon's portico. That portico was just a large public gathering spot in the temple, and that's where the believers met. This is not the first time we see Solomon's portico here in Acts. In fact, the very same reality was just a few uh, verses before where where, uh, Ananias and Sapphira fall dead, hitting the dust of Solomon's portico. And... And so it's at the hands of the apostles that many signs and wonders were taking place. Well, what is with the signs and wonders? We understand that this is an authenticating reality to the Word of God being preached. The Word of God being preached is authenticated. This is the power of God. As clear as it can ever be for human eyes and hearts, right? God is behind this. It's not manipulation or even interpretation of man, but the preaching of the Word of God at the very core, at the very source, at the very foundation. It is the power of God. And so it's at the hands of the apostles, but it is the power through the hands, the power of God. And so it's at the hand of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place. At Solomon's portico, I want you to just to think for a second. 
Can you remember the prayer that the church just got out of right before Ananias and Sapphira? I know it's been a few weeks, but go back to chapter 4 and verse 29. Remember, this is at the, after the arrest of Peter and John and the lame man. Right? And they're told, right? What are they told? Stop preaching the Word of God. Stop proclaiming the Word of God. Stop preaching in Jesus Christ's name. And so what do they do? They fall on their knees all together, all of them. All of the believers here in Acts chapter 4. And they say in verse 29, Peter's the spokesperson. But the text, if we remember, is very clear that this is with one accord. It even says that in verse 24, this is the heart, the collective heart of this, the church. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. The Sanhedrin, the men in charge, the men threatening the way, the life, the truth, the Christ and his followers. And he says, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants, life's not about us, it's about you, O Master God, your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word with boldness. My friends, we are witnessing nothing less here in chapter 5 now, verse 12 and following, the answer to the prayer of the church that God would be proclaimed and that they would boldly proclaim through the Holy Spirit the Word of God. So that men, as we heard this morning, would hear, not only understand, but bow their heart's will, their knee to, and respond to the Word of God. And so, uh, it is the prayer, it is the prayer here now being answered in verse 12 and following. And so, we can positively say that as God works and in His timing and in His way, He delights to work through prayer. Because we can't divorce what we've learned already, what, the, what, what has brought the apostles in the church to this point in Acts chapter 5. And we're going to see in just a moment that, well, we know that they, in verse 14 that they were added with men and women, a great number. They're seeing the answer to the very prayer in chapter 4. And that cannot go in the shadows in this text, my friends, we have to bring that to the forefront. That prayer was an integral part of their growth. It was an integral part of how they proclaimed the Word of God. These were people begging God to give boldness through the Spirit to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Remember, these are the same witnesses that saw the same group of people, the Sanhedrins, crucify their Lord. How intimidating is that? 
And these are the same group begging God to give them Holy Spirit boldness to proclaim the Word of God. We need that prayer in our lives, don't we? Greet crowds coming. Oh, we would love to see that. But you know what? We would just love to see the Spirit work. And so you and I, I think tonight, are reminded that as God works and in His timing and in His way, He positively works through our heart's desires and prayers to Him that the Spirit of God would work. And so you and I, we've just got to get busy praying if we aren't. And if we are, you know, I, I, I confess to you tonight that I need more and more prayer in my life to that regard. And so my heart is quick to that this evening. We ask not because we have not. And my friends, God is in the business of saving. And so tonight, excuse me, we see that in His time and in His way, He works through prayer. And uh, we see that even fundamentally through the reality and that in the, in, the, in the early stages of the church, uh, they did this in two primary ways. Certainly, personally, I, I think we, we understand and we almost assume that they are doing this personally. But they also went house to house, preaching and praying and teaching. And that's not unlike what we're doing tonight. We just kind of, are part of us are here, part of us are outside, part of us are upstairs. We're, we're kind of in our houses to houses a little bit. We've just centralized it here. Uh, sometimes we meet house to house, certainly on a more informal basis for sure. But they also, in the masses, gather together. We just read in Acts chapter 4 there at Solomon's Portico, Portico again, and they are praying, they are asking God. And so we have a model even today of why we do what we do, because the early church did that. And it's nothing different, it's not sensational. This disciple-making, this relational reality of, of God's people is not some fad that will disappear. And Grace Church of a Mentor is just writing it. My friends, getting to know people house to house is the reality of the New Testament first century church. And it is the reality of any church that wants to do God's work in His way and in His timing. And so we look forward to seeing what God will do working house to house and corporately. And we enjoy both here tonight, don't we? At our church, and so we're so thankful. But as we look at God working in His timing and in His way, we've seen that positively He works through prayer in each of the principles tonight. And maybe I'll skip a few principles because I've already gone way too long in my first principle um, because I knew tonight was Lord's table. Uh, we're going to look at a positive, and I think the, the text gives us a negative side to that principle, or negatively stated. It's not necessarily a negative principle or a negative fact, but, but negatively stated, and you'll see what I mean. So positively, God works through prayer. Negatively here, I'd like to just say that God does not work through pragmatism. That's the opposite of prayer. That's the opposite of God working. That's man trying to manipulate to get crowds. God doesn't work through pragmatism. And we see that here in verse 13, I think. Because think of the context. Now, remember when we read this, but none of the rest, and I think that the rest is really outside the church, and maybe even, maybe some think even within the church, but I really think it is the focus 
of those who are, who are around the temple that are not believers in Jesus Christ, and they're curious what's going on. I mean, there are, there are thousands getting saved, and people are getting healed, and, and people are bringing out cots just so that Peter's shadow will touch them, which, by the way, Luke doesn't say does anything. There's no commentary to that. But the commentary is that, hey, this movement called the church, the, the followers of Christ, wow. And people are starting to flock. And even as we see in verse 16, uh, remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, there's a methodology to the proclamation of the gospel. It starts with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most. That is, that is basically geocentric uh, or, or, or geometry-related uh, realities of closer and, and spreading out. Right? And we already see that there's like, a, there's like layers within Jerusalem. The temple was like the epicenter. It's where the gathering place, it's where the, it's where the Jews gathered. And so if you're going to take the gospel of the Jews, that's where you go. It's a no-brainer. But now we see in verse 16 that also the peoples from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem. So that, 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 that uh, circle is starting to expand. And the apostles haven't even left the temple yet. What a beautiful Reality that when God works in his way, it's, a real, it's the real deal, right? They haven't even left the temple yet. Maybe they've gone house to house, so they've left the temple in that regard. But, but this is the, the cities outside of Jerusalem that are close by, that are not yet into uh, Jerusalem, Judea, not yet to kind of the, the further regions. And, and, and we see, right, in verse 13, going back to the reality that this is not pragmatism, that none of the rest, that's this other vicinity, the people who are, who are looking and interested, dared to associate with them. Who's the them there? Well, we're talking about the apostles. And why don't they want to associate with the apostles? Remember what happened last week in chapter, at the end of chapter 4 and at the beginning of chapter 5. Right? There were two that decided to associate with the apostles that had ulterior motives. And what happened? They didn't walk out. They were carried out with, as Paul, with pallbearers, Ananias and Sapphira. So, you know, if there's a bunch of people that don't have, have pure motives to kind of hear the gospel, what don't you want to do? They don't want to go meet Peter. <laughs> I mean, you know, Peter was bold. He just said it as a prophet of God then. Ananias, I'm calling you out. This isn't the pure offering that God wants of the church. And so in verse 13, none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. Right, so if we were really interested in, in, in pragmatic workings, right, I mean... You know, there'd be all kinds of, of ways that the, the, the church would try to downplay Ananias and Sapphira. But you know what? The reality is, is God doesn't need approachability to work. And what I mean by that is in the very context in which we see it, Ananias and Sapphira. Don't get me wrong. God is approachable. The one mediator, man, Christ Jesus, right? I'm not, I'm not commenting to that. I'm saying in terms of this Ananias and Sapphira incident, right? I mean, there's a little bit, 
you know, in some churches today, if that happened, there would be like be this whole crisis communication PR thing that we'd have to send out, right, to the community, right, to try to make sure that, hey, we still want people to, to come and, and be interested in what we have to offer. My, my point is simply this, right? that it is God that works, not man. And, and so when God works, you don't have to have pragmatic things to draw people. Okay? That's a, a simple point. And I think that we can see that here in the text, that God's not interested in pragmatically bringing people. And Grace Church of Menor, I think as a whole, we could say is not interested in pragmatically bringing people to Grace Church of Menor. We're interested, and we ought to get more and more interested in bowing our knees, praying to the God who works in His timing and in His way, for us to be faithful witnesses to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully, truly, lovingly, but prayerfully, but not pragmatically. My friends, it is not a soup kitchen, as noble as that endeavor is. It is, it is not uh, handing out uh, uh, blankets or toys. It is not shoes. It is the word of God that saves. That is clearly the point that I'm trying to make. It is not a pragmatic thing. It is a prayer thing. And it is the God of heaven who works in his timing and his way. Principle one. Fair enough? All right. Let's move on tonight. Principle number two for us faithful, for we faithful witnesses. God works through the evil intentions and interruptions, just because it was fun to say, of man. All right. Let's look at verse 17 through 26. But the high priest rose up along with all the associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and they put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, that's the Sanhedrin, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. So obviously they didn't know what happened. There was an angel of the Lord that came and disrupted that plan. Verse 22, but the officers who came did not find them in prison. Then they returned and reported back, saying, We have found the prison house locked quite securely. Got to love Luke here. <laughs> quite securely. And the guards standing at the doors. But when we, had op- when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So someone just in time, right? They're, ah, what are we going to do? Oh, they're over there. Verse 26, and the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. That is, this people, the people coming even from the vicinity of Jerusalem, cities outside the the vicinity of Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 26, Verse 27, then they had brought them, they stood them before the council, the high priest questioned them. 
So God works through evil intentions and interruptions of man. You know, positively, we could say God is in control. And he uses men for his purposes, doesn't he? I mean, that's pretty clear here. (laughs) But the high priest, verse 17, rose up. I mean, understand the reality, right? This is the one in charge of the temple and of the Jewish religion. And the Sanhedrin are essentially in this horseshoe kind of shape, gathered around, much like a Congress would be today, or or, or a a Congress committee. Seated high and seated around, and in the middle he stands up with the authority that he carries. That's the authority here. He stands up in his authority And with all his associates, the Sadducees, we've made comments on them, those who uh, uh, don't believe in the resurrection and and have really been the ones to, to, to be quick to put Jesus to the cross and to keep him there. And they were filled with jealousy. So this official position, think about the drama of that. There's drama there. You have the God of heaven, and you have an official uh, uh, representative of the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and he literally is standing, rising up to the God of heaven here. That is the drama that that I think Luke, through the Holy Spirit, wants us to see. And God works through the evil intentions of men, regardless of authority, who stand up to him. He is in control. And he uses men for his purposes, and at his time, and in his way. They're filled with jealousy. I mean, that is the underlying Luke through the Holy Spirit, just cuts to the quick of why the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, are just so boneheaded, so stone cold towards these men, so threatened because of the popularity of these men. They're just jealous. <laughs> and I, I, I just thought, you know, while religion may contain God, the Jews did, they contained God, Right? I mean, the law was all for God, supposedly, right? While, the, while religion, whether it's Jews or any religion, I think, it's universal, may contain God, it's never first and foremost about God. Isn't it the tragedy? Isn't it the irony of religion? It contains God, but it's never really about Him, is it? It's about man. Whenever it's man-made, Who does it circle around? Any religious system is always about men and men ultimately getting in the way. And I think we have that commentary here tonight (laughs) that God is in control and He works through the evil intentions and interruptions of men. This is why this is the jealousy It causes them, in verse 18, to lay hands to the apostles and to put them in public jail, in this public spectacle. 
And if we don't understand by now that God, in His way and in His timing, works even through the evil intentions of man, again, I think it's so beautiful that in the early church we have all these really sensational things because we can't not hear the truth that God is trying to get across. What is more sensational than God saying, you know what, the high priest, whether that was Annas, who was the former high priest, or Caiaphas, probably both of them, because Annas still carried quite a bit of weight. Whether you have one man or two men standing up to the God of heaven, it doesn't matter. What happens? Oh, you can throw my apostles, my called ones, my sent ones, my faithful witnesses into jail? You go ahead and do that. (laughs) It doesn't matter to the God of heaven who can work through the evil intentions and interruptions of man. In fact, we know that he furthers his intentions through those people, doesn't he? And so we have that very clear, right? He sends an angel. It's an ain, indefinite angel of the Lord to open the gates. Whether that was Christ or not, but I, I think it's, it's clear it's an uh, indefinite. It's not the angel of the Lord. It's just an angel of the Lord. Luke doesn't really say one way or the other. So we won't. At least I won't. And, uh, and he sends an angel. Man, what a, what a way. What, a, what, what more powerful way can, can God get across the point that he could work? And he does work through the evil intentions and interruptions of man. You can cross-reference here the reality in Luke chapter 21, verse 12, if you're taking notes. Uh, 12 through 19, really Christ. This is, this is really a, a reality that, that Christ essentially tells, the, tells his disciples that this is going to happen, that you're going to be, you're gonna be uh, uh, put to death even for my sake. And so that's the beginning of this here. And so positively, God is in control of the evil intentions and, and interruptions of man. And negatively, we could state it this way, God never loses control. And I think that's clear in verse 19. The angel makes that all the more abundant that men cannot thwart God's purposes. And you know, I, I think it's, it's very helpful for us at this point just to kind of put our put our evangelistic zeal, not in neutral, that would be awful, but let's just hear the, let's just hear clearly, right, God's perspective, right? This is a, this is a, this is a sensational moment, right? We know church history does not always afford God's people to be delivered by an angel opening up the prison. Okay. Fox Books of, book, books of Martyrs tells us that very clearly. History tells us that very clearly. Acts will show us that very clearly with Stephen here and his stoning in chapter 7. In chapter 12, James, the apostle, is slain through with the sword. Chapter 21, Paul is is put in prison. That won't be the first time he's in prison, but he's in prison for an extended period of time. Later on, he's stoned almost to the point of death. In fact, the only reason why he wasn't stoned to death is because they thought that he was dead, so they just left him. 
and he was able to escape. There's no angel of deliverance there. But God's truth still remains. And the reality that God works in His way and His timing and through the intentions, even the evil intentions of men, still remains. And the fact is that God is still in control. And what is His purposes for you and for me? Verse 20, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple. The whole message of this life, just like in their context it was in the temple, the whole message of this, the life, definite there, definite article, the life, this, the life, and that really is referring to the same prince of life that Peter spoke about in Acts chapter 3 and verse 15. The originator, the the heir of life. In fact, I think Pastor Tim preached on that very phrase last year for Easter as we went over it. And so, God has a purpose and no one, my friend, make, make, make no mistake about it, No one, no matter the authority, no matter the men gathered and the person who rises, no one can stop God's purposes in any time, in any way, in any place. And that is the point that God wants His message of life to go forward. And so God never loses control. You know, I think sometimes we we feel that our lives are spinning out of control. Sometimes we may even ask the question, God, where are you in all this? And I think it might just be, as I kind of look through my own life at those times, and as I have the opportunity to come alongside others that are going through that very same thing, I think it might just be that their life isn't about the purposes of God. And why do I say that? Because, my friends, when, when your life aligns up with God's purposes, it doesn't mean it's always going to be peachy or rosy. We see that. But what it does mean is as God works in His way and in His time, even through evil intentions of man and interruptions of men, there's going to be an evident purpose. And there's going to be the hand of God showing those who have been tasked with that purpose that He is in control. So, it may be chaos. There may be consequences. But at the end of the day, God, through the Spirit, through His people, through His Word, is going to show that He is in control of His purposes as He works them out in your life and in my life. So I think sometimes um, we use finances for for our own reasons. And we don't use them for God's purposes. 
And it's no mistake, I, I, I don't think, that even though the world is in financial crisis, right? I mean, yet again, right? I don't even know. I stopped watching the news. Did they pass a thing? I don't even care. Let's not even think about it. Sorry, wash your, as Pastor said this morning, wash your brain, right, of what Congress did or did not do. But my, my point is that, you know, I mean, there are people saying, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to have more debt and, and everything is going to go kablooey, right? I mean, the world can't get their own finances in order. And it's no mistake, I don't think, that, that even in the church, many in the church can't get their own finances in order because they're not using them for God's purposes. They're not aligning their purposes with God's purposes. And it's simple. It really is simple. There is one purpose that rings throughout the first hours, minutes of the church. And it continues to ring all the way until Jesus Christ comes again. Proclaim, be witnesses of my gospel. Whatever we have, our careers, whatever it is, God, align my purposes to your purposes. And that, my friends, I think is where we see God in control. Because that's where He wants you to be. That's where He's working all things for you in your heart to be. To be a witness. To be a bold proclaimer. And so, many times, I think we needlessly get off track, and with good reason, our lives seem out of control. Don't forget, the God of heaven is always in control. I think what he wants is for us to get back in to his purposes, where the God of heaven called you, saved you, created you, newly created you to be. So... God works through the evil intentions and interruptions of man. Third principle tonight, we'll probably just stop there. Maybe we'll pick up in two weeks between this and, the, and Acts chapter 6. Third principle tonight, God works with incredible patience even to those antagonistic to Him. You see faithful witnesses that's the principle God wants us to understand is He is immensely patient. And aren't we thankful? Personally, aren't we thankful? As I sat as a young man for probably over six months, clearly hearing, methodically hearing the gospel, the call to repent, and, and, for, and, and God's clear desire to forgive my sins as a young man. It wasn't until six months into that that the God of heaven, through the Spirit of God, caused me to personally see the gravity of my sin. And with great emotion, bowing my will to my masters. And you have similar stories, I'm sure. How many of us turn to the gospel at the first hearing of it? My friends, God works with incredible patience, doesn't He? 
And that is true nonetheless, as we see very clearly in this passage. Look with me in verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them. That's the apostles saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Boy, isn't that an echo from Acts chapter uh, 3. The God of our Father raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death, by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and to forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Positively, we could say we're thankful that God has incredible patience. God is patient and His patience is offered to all. I mean, look at verse 28. Don't forget what just happened. They're in a panic, them being the Sanhedrin, because they have no clue where in the world the apostles went under lock and key, under guard. And what's the first question they ask? (laughs) Didn't we tell you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ? There wasn't, hey, uh, How'd you guys get out of jail? Right? There wasn't, what in the world happened? Who, who let you out? I, I personally think, I think they knew. I really do. I really think they knew. And they refused anyway. Look at verse 25. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 28. I need readers too, apparently. I gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in the name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man. Look at the hatred that they have. They won't even say it. This man, this man's blood upon us. They know what's happening. They understand that they're the ones who put Jesus Christ on the cross, they don't gloss over that. And they see the popularity at which this new life is coming into even the temple. And instead of, and Peter preaches the gospel to them yet again, I think this is like the fourth time that Peter has preached the gospel to the Sanhedrin. But they have already dug in their heels. They they have already calloused their hearts. They did that when they crucified him. But my friends, don't misunderstand me that God still offers his salvation to them. And God is still patient to them here. 
These are the men that crucified Jesus Christ through their puppeteering. Peter answers them and says, well, we're going to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. I just want to make a comment on that. That that word cross there is literally a, a, a piece of wood. Okay, And the reason why it's, it's, it's translated cross here, the NASB helps us, because it, it, it really is the reality in, in Jewish culture, going all the way clear back to Deuteronomy, that anyone who hangs off a tree or a piece of wood is the bottom of the... You don't even talk about it. They are despised. They are cursed. And it was, it was Paul. Paul says it very clearly in Galatians chapter 3. He says, you know, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And he says, for it is written, cursing is everyone who hangs on a tree. And the NASB uh, translates it there, tree. It's the same word. <laughs> and so my friends, tonight... Yet again, do we see the abundant patience and forgiveness that God offers to even these men. Even these men. You know, God had a right, didn't he, to get impatient with these men? This again... This is the fourth time the gospel is clearly preached to them since, at least that we have account, since Christ's crucifixion. And yet, even in this context, as he tries to get you and me to understand what faithful witnesses is and does, he extends his loving patience. And our patience needs to be lockstep in with God's. Neighbors, there he is, cutting the grass at 6.30 in the morning. Who cares? You know, you can bring him a cup of coffee or something. I don't know. Whatever. But, but we have neighbors, and sometimes they get on our nerves. Ugh gone through puberty, apparently. My voice still cracks. It's the joy of public speaking. We have neighbors. They get on our nerves. I think at times they can. Anybody that you live around. Co-workers. Co-workers test our patience. Really, the God of heaven willing to extend patience He offers salvation, not retribution, for the ones who crucified him. So, three of five principles tonight. God is in control. As we proclaim the gospel, know that. God uses the evil intentions of men. He's incredibly impatient with them. 
He is incredibly patient with them. He works in his timing and in his way. Father, tonight I pray that you would continue to uh, help us to work out the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful witnesses in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, Pastor Tim, I think, do you want to sing a song? Okay. Well, how about you're, you're a senior, so you come up and you do what you want.